seated as we walk through Psalm 119 responsively together. You have, do- you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you alone are God and have chosen to reveal yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Grant us always to fear, love, and trust in you above all else, through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And our scripture readings for the day are first from the prophet Isaiah in the 44th chapter with selected verses. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. The carpenter stretches a line, he marks it out with a pencil, he shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man, to dwell in a house. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it, and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Well, they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes, so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot understand. He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome in the fourth chapter. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir or that he would be heir of the world it did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs faith is null and the promise is void for the law brings wrath but where there is no law there is no transgression that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. 
he had not he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise and honor the gospel from Matthew's gospel in the ninth chapter. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for gathering us into your presence as the one who gathers his people and protects and takes care of and provides everything for them. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide us and lead us, guard us and keep us by your Holy Spirit, that you would remove distractions from our hearts and minds and let us rest in the promises that you give us in Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen. Well, as you remember, we're walking through a sermon series this summer, and it is looking at the Ten Commandments and seeing them as words to be loved by, not solely words to live by, but words to be loved by. As we start to see the God who is behind these commandments and the reasons why he's given the commandments, and then also have some conversations on what they are and how they're accomplished and that kind of stuff. But that's not the focus. Those are good things to talk about. But the commandments really don't mean anything unless we trust and know who it is that gave them to us. That's what we talked about last Sunday, as we got to see this character of God, who is the one who always acts first, who is the one to provide for his people, to bring them out of slavery quite literally, then also out of slavery to sin, and bind them to himself, to make them his own, to declare that they, we, are his people, right? It's who our God is. His character resounds through all of it, his steadfast love and mercy. But today we come to the first commandment. And the first commandment, as you all well remember, is you shall have no other gods before me. Did you remember that there's about two to three more verses after that? Maybe, maybe not. See, after that, he starts to talk about not having idols, not 
creating things that are going to stand in God's place, not having these things that we would put our trust in or these things that we would worship. In fact, one example of that is in that Isaiah text we read today. We get this beautiful picture of a carpenter who is very skilled in what he does and has these materials and resources that came from God to begin with. Because remember, carpenters usually don't create the wood. They might grow a tree, but it's still God who grows it and gives them something to work with. And then in this carpenter's mind, with all of his skill and craft, crafts a beautiful sculpture and then takes the scrap and the other half from it to build a fire and be warm and cook on it and have this kind of multi-use piece of this stuff, this wood. And we start to wonder, well, how many times might we look to things for multi-use purposes or try to get too much out of something? And how many times might we be taking something and putting all of our fear, love, and trust into it, thinking that that thing is going to be the thing that guides us? And, and really, how are we taking something that is um, a piece of the creation and trying to put it in the place of the creator? In other words, taking a good thing and trying to make it a God thing. Okay? So this idea of using something in multiple ways. Um, there's a short video clip we're going to watch real quick. And uh, it's in a different language, uh, so there's subtitles. Um, but let's see what this might look like. Okay, so <laughs> the wonderful commercial, if you were to follow it further, you would see that it's a commercial for cutting boards. Um, there are certain things that have a particular purpose, right? And there are certain things that don't work well when we don't use them for their particular purpose or when we see them as something that should do something different than what they're designed for. God has created everything. and He stands above all of it and he says, look, I am your God. You should have no other gods before me. Don't put anything else in my place. I mean, trying to put an iPad in the place of a cutting board, well, that's fun. Kind of defeats the purpose of the thing, though, right? I mean, trying to put a cutting board in the place of an iPad, I guess, would do the same thing. It's kind of hard to work with those if you're trying to get your email. But how many times do we take something and move it from this place of a tool that is to be used into a thing that we tried to worship? Whether it's moving some piece of technology into that place, a piece of creation, right? Maybe even our own reason and understanding we start to put above God and in the place of God. Maybe it's family or spouse or money or work, a different relationship. Whatever the case is, when we tend to start to take those things and put them into God's place, we follow right along with Adam and Eve when we start to doubt his word and say, you know what, maybe he didn't quite say what we thought he said. I know better, and I'm going to stand in that place and make that decision. 
More often than not, in our sin, we end up putting ourselves in God's place. We decide that what God gave us is good, and we know what to do with it better than He does. And so we stand in that spot and stand in that place and then start to decide the world because, I mean, after all, we know what the difference is between good and evil. We know what the difference is between what's good in creation and what's bad in creation. And really, you know, just to make sure that everyone's happy and getting along okay, that's going to be just fine. Except, it's also kind of interesting. God never meant Adam and Eve to know good. Think about that. He created them, and he created all of creation, right? And into the midst of that creation, he kept saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. He creates Adam and Eve, and in the middle of that, brings these two together into a perfect relationship with a perfect God in a perfect setting to where they knew each other in every way, and they could walk with God in the middle of a creation where they were completely content, and everything was not just good, but very good. And they knew no different than perfect wholeness and completeness in God. They looked to God for everything. They knew he was more powerful than them. I mean, they knew that he had created them. They trusted in him for everything. He would even said, everything that I've made is yours. Everything in this creation is for your good. Everything in this creation is so that you would thrive and live and be taken care of. And they knew a perfect love, not just between each other, but also between the Creator and themselves. A perfect setting. And then they were tempted to know what the other side of the coin might look like. To know not just good, but also evil. And it was at that moment that God said, we've got to kick them out. Lest they also eat from the tree of life and retain this knowledge of good and evil, and be just like us. You see, we still have that knowledge of good and evil, but we don't have a perfect knowledge of it either. We have a corrupted knowledge of what's good and evil, and more often than not, like I said before, we're very tempted at times to take something that's good and put it into God's place, and then all of a sudden that's bad. See, whenever anything sits in God's place, it's a bad thing. Whether it's for the Israelites, a golden calf that's there that they try to worship and honor God through and say, he's provided for us, let us have something that stands in his place to worship. You see, Jesus, well, not Jesus yet, God had told Moses and all of them, don't make any carved idols for me. Don't make any images that you think that I would look like. See, because all the other nations out there do that, within the heart of man is such a desire to worship and look to something to trust in outside of themselves, knowing that they don't have control over anything, but we look to something within creation, something outside of ourselves to trust in for our good. And all the nations around the Israelites did that. You'd go into any of their walled cities, and in the gates on the way in, they would have a place just inside the archway, and it was called the high place. And in that high place, they would have a carved image of a god, whatever their god was, whatever they looked to for their providence, whatever they looked to for their guidance, whatever they trusted in and feared as more powerful than themselves to protect them in every way, they would have this image. 
And usually what would happen when you would go in and conquer a city, you would then defile that place. And you can look through history and all the ways that conquering armies did that, whether it was just knocking down the idols to kind of desecrating that space. But if you go into any of the Israelite cities, any of the little fortresses that they had, there's absolutely no remains and marks of anything sitting in that place. The architecture was the same. The place was the same, but there was nothing that would sit in that spot. If you go through the years of archaeology and you look at different things that are built in those places, you can find remnants in the other eras. But in the eras of where the Israelite people were at in different little cities, there would never be anything that sat in that high place. Because God said not to. They were trusting in his word to provide for them without having to be located in a little figurine or within their own understanding or anything like that. Now when we start to look at this commandment even more, this God who is our one and only God, the one true God, the one who stands up above all things and the one who created all things, we also hear his words that we don't get to stand in his presence on our own. And so that very word of God in Jesus, when he took on flesh and walked around and everybody said, look, we can get to God in all kinds of certain ways. And he said, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way, there's one way in which this is going to happen. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to rise for you. So that you would know the true love of the one and only true God, the love of the Father himself for the forgiveness of your sins, and for life, even in the midst of death. Only one way that that happens. It's not through our reason. It's not through our understanding. It's not through any piece of creation that is beautiful and wonderful. It only comes through Christ. This one word that speaks the one truth about the one true God, the one and only who has loved his creation and fulfilled his promise made to Adam and Eve that he would make things right and bring them back into a right relationship with him. And that's what he's done for you, to bring you back into a right relationship with himself so that you would have life in Jesus' name, so that you would be called a child of the family, so that you would have his name on you. See, that's how you're loved by this commandment. God that knows better than you do about what you need, about who you are, and about what's necessary into eternity. Our one and only God who says, you should have no other gods before me. And we say, oh, I guess that makes sense. And he's shown us that love in Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. That in your being as the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have loved us in a way that nothing else in the midst of creation can. And you have shown us that forgiveness. We bring to you all the times that we try to put something else in your place and end up heartbroken. Yet we know that you continue to gather us unto yourself and speak forgiveness into our ears so we would continue to know of your steadfast love and mercy for us as the one true God. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to rise.